Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfeld. You know, there are places all over the world where violence has been so much a part of a culture. And you might say to yourself, well, what is God doing? Well, you'll be surprised to hear. God is doing some remarkable things in some of the most difficult areas of the world. Join us and find out how. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I've got a passage of scripture that comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And the Apostle Paul writes the Galatian Christians, he says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then he adds, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, the reason why... If, if, Galatians 6 verse 10 means so much to me is that I know there was a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Germany during the time of the Holocaust in the Second World War. Uh, he was very much involved in making sure that Jews escaped Germany, and he also stood in opposition to the Nazi regime that was taking over everywhere. And one of his favorite verses was exactly this one. As we have opportunity, as God gives us opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's the calling of believers. God is calling us wherever we're stationed, whatever we have opportunity, let's do good. I'm going to introduce you to a man named Brian McConaughey. And uh, if you're familiar with his program, you've heard me interview him in the past. And he actually has two roles. Uh, he worked with the RCMP as a forensic scientist uh, and as a weapons specialist. But he is also the founding director of something called Ratnack International, which deals with the sex trade and, uh, and with individuals who have been horribly abused. And uh, we're going to find about, about his work in Cambodia. It has seen more death and destruction than I think almost any nation on the earth, that is, at least in recent memory. And so we're going to find out about what God is doing there and meet this remarkable man by the name of Brian McConaughey. So join me for a fascinating interview. Well, Brian McConaughey, it's great to have you back at our studios at Truth and Life today. We've had one conversation some time ago, yep. and uh, we're having a, an, an opportunity to discuss a second part of your life, which I think has become an all-consuming part of your life. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, so d d give us your title. You are Ratnack International. That's a very strange name for us, but it's named that way for a reason. Why don't you tell us about it? I'm the founding director of Ratnack International, uh, incorporated charity uh, that's named after a little girl who died in 1989. She in, in Cambodia. In Cambodia. Um, she, um, she was denied medication. She was living in a war zone, and the international community sealed the borders, so no medicine was allowed in for her. And uh, I was on a vacation. Um, because being in the RCMP and being a weapons specialist, I was, I was, to be frank, I was completely sick of dead people and crime scenes and autopsies. So I, I figured I'd plan a hotel, go to Asia. It's full of live people and sun, and I figured I, I need live people. And uh, quite by accident, ended up on the Thai-Cambodian border and stepped into a border war that I was not prepared for. And I had never seen that kind of suffering before. Well, let's step back for a moment. Uh, how familiar were you at that point in time with, uh, with the atrocious history of Cambodia? I wasn't. You I wasn't at all. I was going on a trip to Thailand, and I was asked to bring a care package up uh, to a friend of a friend. Um, 
into the war zone. I didn't even know where, where I was going. Uh, so let's, uh, for our listeners who might not be aware of the history of, of Cambodia, I think we're, we're right to say that Cambodia has witnessed perhaps the, percentage-wise, the largest genocide yeah. in the 20th century. Yes. Yeah, it's a small country in between Thailand and Vietnam. It's about 200 miles by 250 miles. And when the revolution really got going in 1975, the population was 7.5 million people. And through the course of the revolution and the subsequent civil war, um, uh, the, the press continues to quote 1.8, perhaps 2 million people dead. Uh, the mathematical models we have are very clear that it's about 3.2 million. So it's out of 7.5 million, 3.2 million, yeah. uh, an organization called or the government called the Khmer Rouge yeah. um, basically slaughtered their own population. Yeah. They were determined to purify society. They were radical Maoists, and to purify society, they wanted to eradicate anyone with an education basically more than grade three. Yeah, so as I understand the stories, people with, let's say, eyeglasses yeah. immediately are killed. Yes. The assumption is you can read, so you can we read. execute you. Yeah. Um, I understood that hands were put out. If you have calluses on your hands... They might let you live. If you have soft hands, you're a city dweller, you're a parasite, you I die. See. And on and on it goes. So, and all of these uh, executions, the torturing that went on, the executions were all very personal, done with machetes and clubs, en masse. I mean, it's 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 horrendous. So the degree of trauma in Cambodian society is unique, um, and I was completely unaware of this. Um, so, Brian, I believe in the meticulous <coughs> sovereignty of God. God takes his own people and he moves them to places. You thought you were going on vacation yeah. and God thought you were going for a different reason. And that's become abundantly plain. Yeah. So you went to a country that was traumatized, that had one of the worst histories that one can even think of. Mm -hmm. But you came at a unique time in that country's history yeah. because they were about to be launched into another war. And you saw that up close. Yeah, they were in the midst of a civil war, uh, and the international community had sealed the borders. And at that time, Cambodia was the only country that was not allowed a seat in the United Nations. And so as people suffered inside the country, no medicine was allowed inside that country. And being Irish and being stubborn, I figured, okay, there's no way. That's that, that's that's wrong. I had, I had heard about this little child ratnak who died for want of medication. I figured, I'm going to smuggle a couple of suitcases of medicine through uh, the UN embargo and get it into Cambodia and distribute that. Because if you have the right medication, you can impact numerous lives just with a couple of suitcases. So I, I just called it Ratanak Project, my little project in memory of the little little child Ratanak. And what I didn't plan for, uh, and God didn't consult with me on at all on this, was that he gave me nine tons of medication. So now I'm sitting in Vancouver with nine tons of medication. Uh, these nine tons came to be because individuals were aware of what you were doing? Local hospitals found out what I was doing and started to donate meds. And so I ended up with this storage locker with hundreds of thousands of dollars of medication. I mean, it was phenomenal. And this, a lot of it had to do with the fact that you were working in a, uh, a crime scene investigation, so you're dealing with hospitals and medication on a regular basis. Um, I was in the hospitals a lot, and so I was comfortable in that environment. I didn't know any of the administrators that I control see. drug inventory. But How they did word get out? Uh, I just started knocking on doors in hospitals oh. uh, and saying, I want meds. If they're close to expiry date and you can't use them, I'll take them. So now you're, so. you're left with you know, individuals being far more generous than you had ever imagined. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're left with all these tons of medication. How do you move that and how do you move it in such a way that it gets to 
Yeah, well, how do you move it through a UN embargo that the Canadian government support when you're a member of the RCMP? So being a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, there's, there's certain responsibilities, and you've taken oaths of allegiance to uh, to the Queen and the government and the Commissioner of the RCMP, and it became blatantly apparent that if I'm to do this and basically bring this medication into uh, what's considered an enemy state, um, I have to figure out, do does my does what Christ required of me does that trump those oaths I have taken? And, and so when you're a young person and you've got kind of the perfect, exciting job that you've longed for, um, the bar is high. And yet it became very clear that that Christ's demands being made of me were greater than those of government. And if I lost my job, I lost my job. So I learned how to buy a container, ship a container, smuggle a container. And we got it into Cambodia and we broke the embargo and they, the, the communist government at the time, they had overthrown the Khmer Rouge, but were still a Vietnamese-backed government. Um, they were thrilled and stuck me on state-run TV with the Deputy Minister of Health celebrating the breach of the embargo and the supplies that had been brought in. And I'm trying to keep a low profile. And going on state-run TV is not the way to do that. So to say I was politically incorrect would have been an understatement. Um, and yet my job was preserved remarkably. Uh, and a charity was born because I came home and people started handing me money like that was nuts. Go do it again. Um, and so I, I figured, okay, people are donating money. Let's let's do it again. So a charity was born. Thirty years on, Ratnak International, as it, as it is now called, has specialized in the area of human trafficking because my work, primarily through uh, police investigations of uh, both serial killers in Canada and uh, of, of serial killers killing prostituted young women, and international pedophiles that are Canadian that are traveling to abuse children, have brought me into this horrible world of human trafficking and slavery. And so the charity now focuses on rehabilitating, rescuing, rehabilitating those that have been sold into slavery that are Cambodians. They have no social services to protect them, and they're sold all over the place. And so we have the privilege and pleasure uh, of working with the Cambodian government as they try to rebuild those mechanisms. Uh, so it's wonderful. Brian, I, I think there are, there are a couple of things that as you speak, I, I think that first of all, that every single believer is saying, wherever God calls me, I must say yes. Mm. But I think there's something else as well. And that is, there may be times when the politics of the nation that we're part of will militate against what we sense God wants us to do. Um, it might have been easy for someone to say, well, are you a communist sympathizer? Mm -hmm. And how would you have answered if that had been asked? And I don't know whether it ever was. Nobody ever said it in that way, uh, but clearly it was inappropriate in terms of the geopolitics of the time. But what is basically right and wrong is very clear. Um, I don't think Christ ever calls us to be politically correct. I don't think that's that's in the vocabulary of the New Testament. Uh, and I think what, what, what we see is in our world, what is correct and what is politically correct is, is a line. I always describe it as doing this. It's up and down. What's politically correct and incorrect changes by the month. Whereas what is moral, what is correct, what is right is a completely straight line that Christ has drawn. Yeah. And, and it does not deviate. All human beings created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Every human being having intrinsic worth. The yeah. compassion of Jesus to all men and women, that God calls us to do good to all men, says Paul, especially to the household of faith, but to all men. Mm -hmm. So all of those things combined together 
make the Christian who follows Jesus a unique individual in the world. Yes, and there will be days you are pol completely politically correct, and there will be days you will be the opposite. But it's about staying on that line what God calls us to. And the changing winds of society are irrelevant to the ultimate morality in terms of the value God has placed on lives. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, especially about that, because I think some of our listeners might be asking the question, what is God saying in, you know, whether it's refugees coming into the country uh, and the masses of humanity that seem to be, you know, in chaos, how does the Christian respond? Are we politically motivated? Are we Christ motivated? I want to talk to you a lot more about that. So join us as we come back. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. Brian, there's so much to talk about in terms of God's calling on your life at this stage of your life. But I do want to talk about sex slavery, which you have uh, been a part of and ministering to that very nasty part of the world. But when I think slavery, Brian, I think, you know, William Wilberforce in England, by God's grace, the British House of Commons voted to end the practice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Americans had a civil war, but in many of our minds, by the time you come to the, you know, the middle of the 1800s and 1860s, the war is over, slavery comes to an end, but it hasn't. Yeah. Oh, there's so many places I could go with that. Um, yes, Wilberforce is, is my hero in so many ways, a man of faith who transformed the world, and he ended uh, slavery as a legal process in uh, the British Empire. Slavery, too, has been ended as a legal process in the United States. We celebrate that. So the heavy lifting has actually been done for us in terms of human trafficking and slavery, because I actually don't know of a country that actually has legalized and codified slavery. It's illegal everywhere. So now we're actually fighting an illegal trade. Slavery as such has not gone away. It's a bigger trade than it's ever been before, but it's not legal. So in that way, we automatically have laws to back us up and we have governments to back us up, and yet we're not fully utilizing those. This came to a head for me when I was... Um, assigned uh, a pedophile case in, in Canada where uh, an individual had been torturing downtown east side women that were um, prostituted. And uh, he had been um, severely abusing this young woman and people called 911 because of her screaming. They arrested him. They seized his videotapes. And in his videotapes, I think it was 67 victims of torture, sex stuff, horrendous stuff. And they called me because I'd spent a lot of time in Asia, and they said, um, can you look at these videos and tell us where these kids are from? Because mixed in with these, with these victims were uh, seven little prepubescent girls, um, uh, seven to nine-year-olds. And I had done years of, of homicides and all that kind of stuff, I, but nothing prepared me for those videos. Nothing can prepare you for those videos. And that was God throwing down the gauntlet saying, I'm not asking you to deal with world slavery. I'm asking you, what are you going to do with those seven? And so I had, um, I had no skills to offer this uh, other than I could see the children. Uh, they were all videos inside little rape cubicles, no street scenes or anything. Um, but I could tell from the way the children were speaking and some of the things in the room, this was Cambodia. Um, and to make a very long story short, um, 
completely miraculously, uh, God gave me the GPS locations of the crime scenes and the names of the kids in 72 hours. I went back to the police authorities, the uh, Vancouver City Police that had asked for assistance, and said, um, there's, the, there's the names of the kids and there's the, there's the uh, GPS locations of the crime scenes. And senior officer leaned across the desk to me and said, we just asked for the country, Brian. Like he says, do you ever believe there's a God? <laughs> uh, and I said, well, actually I'm functioning on that premise. And he had no idea what to do with that answer. But that was the first experience for me to realize that Christ has died for these lives. They are his. They are not mine. This is not about my skill set. This is about me doing what I'm told. He will do the heavy lifting if I'm willing. And so that became a successful investigation that was Canada's first conviction for extraterritorial child exploitation. Uh, we've done uh, numerous cases since then. Uh, so that was a, a very exciting time for me to see God working way outside my skill box. Because I like, I, I'm one of those controlled forensic science kind of people. I like to have my faith in a little box that I can control it. And God constantly calls me to be working outside my comfort zone, constantly where I do not have skills, where I feel overwhelmed. And I have learnt to rely on him when I walk into circumstances, be they crime scenes in Cambodia or horrible situations of prostitution or, or trafficking of individuals. And I'm saying, I don't have the skills. I don't have what I need. I can't cope with this. And the voice behind my head that I'm now familiar with hearing is Christ saying, I have the skills. I'm not surprised. I can deal with this. Uh, who, who are you working for? Are you working for yourself? You're working for me. Yeah. And so relying on him has been a real challenge and a wonderful experience to see he shows up when I am out of my skills. So I'm no longer, I was going to say I'm no longer afraid of working outside my skill set. No, I'm still terrified. I've just learned to do it anyway. And he shows up and transforms lives. You know, your skill set has been as a crime scene investigator. Mm. You've... Um, Forensic scientist. Forensic scientist. It's multifaceted, yeah. Uh -huh. um, and, and in some ways, God has continued to use those very skills. Mm -hmm. um, but when you talk about going beyond that, I mean, I don't know that you were trained to be an international worker, no. an aid worker. No. Um, and I think what you are saying is that individuals that leave themselves entirely into God's sovereign care may find that God directs them uh, to areas that they would never have anticipated outside yeah. of their skill set. Yeah. You know, when I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's given a thorn in the flesh. And it's a messenger of Satan, so it, it torments him. And yet he says, so that I might realize, you know, that it's my weakness where Christ is made strong. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not mm -hmm. one's dealing with a personal illness or a calling in which we find we have no skills, Christ loves to exalt his power in the midst of our weakness. Yeah. Are you finding that? Yeah, we, we cannot wait to exercise our faith until we feel comfortable and competent. We can't. It's not about us. It's about him, and it's about stepping out when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel uh, unqualified. And that's where he says, that, that weakness, I will use that, because you're reliant on me. You're not reliant on your skills, your qualifications, your certifications. You're reliant on me. Um, and so it's very, very challenging. Um, so I, I, I've learned a, a bunch of things about following him, even when everything in me is screaming not to follow him. I have also learned that he can deal with lives, no matter what condition they're in. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I deal with, with lives in Cambodia now. I mean, some children uh, that have been rescued. I mean, these are children that have been sexually assaulted thousands of times. Yeah. 
thousands that uh, people have said they're too broken, they're too damaged psychologically, physically, emotionally, socially, they'll never reintegrate, it's a mess, don't even go there. I beg to differ because I work for the great physician. It's his skills, not mine. And he can claim these lives back. And I, I know many vibrant young Christian lives that were thrown away by the world that have been assaulted hundreds, some of them thousands of times, uh, who now serve the Lord, who are mums, who are married to husbands that adore them, who have children, even though the medical examiners, once we rescued them, said they're too badly damaged, they'll never have kids, wrong. God rebuilds lives. And so the message there, which is so exciting for me, is while we're not dealing with with, uh, human trafficking in Cambodia in our own personal lives, as we sit in Canada or North America, there is not a circumstance in our life Christ can't deal with. You can't get to the stage where you can you can uh, go to Christ and say, well, well, here's my package. And Christ says, I love you. I died for you. I went through so much for you. But I'm sorry, that's just over the line. I can't go there. Uh-huh. You can't get there. There is nothing you can bring to him that shocks him. He's dealt with it all. And he can say, bring it to the table. And he'll say, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. I can deal with that. I can redeem all of this. Furthermore, I can do more than redeem it. Even the even the most tragic circumstances in our lives, he can frequently, not always, but frequently say, I will actually use that to bless others. I will take the brokenness and I will turn that into the healing of others. And you will actually see it while it's not a gift anybody would want. I will take those tormented times in our lives, those areas of suffering, and I will use those to build you into a person that you can minister to other people's suffering. It's, it's an incredible process. I want to do a little ad with you. So, Ratnack International, if somebody's listening to this right now and says, look, I want to partner with that, how do they do that? You can go on the website, uh, ratanak.org, R-A-T-A-N-A-K. It's the name of the little girl, the first one that died that I never met in life. Um, <clears throat> so you can go on the website. Uh, please donate. You can go on Facebook and look for Ratanak International. We post almost every day uh, on stuff that's happening, uh, the rescues that occur, the rehabilitation, the struggles we're dealing with. And, and the most exciting thing at the moment is God has opened up so many boundaries for us with, uh, I mean, we're dealing with over 140 lives right now in active human trafficking files. Um, but the Cambodian government, uh, who very naturally and appropriately mistrusts the Western uh, governments and Western individuals, has grown to trust us. We've been at this 30 years, and we have the privilege of partnering with them. See, and the reason I ask that is because God has given you a marvelous mission Mm. to pursue. And there is a, and I'm sure that there's both an an awesome responsibility, Um, there's the evil that you encounter, but there's also this marvelous opportunity. But, you know, David said something when he attacked the Amalekites, that the men that kept the baggage and the men that went to war with him shared in the reward together. And I want to say that, you know, when there are those that partner together with those of us who are in full-time ministry, Mm -hmm. that the partners who partner with us share the reward with us. So uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Thank you for sharing a little bit about your ministry and about the grace of God and what all of that means. I want to thank you for being a part of Truth and Life today and wish you God's richest blessing as you carry on in doing what Christ has called you to do. Thank you. It's a pleasure. God bless you. Thanks. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next.
You know, I think when John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the idea that God loves the world makes believers lovers of the people of this world. There's no other way around it. I think it should be a mark of every believer to know as much about the world as we can. We need to lift our eyes beyond our individual circumstances and begin to see the world as the stage where God is acting and to wonder what God is doing. I become more and more aware of the fact that there is a church that is growing all over the world. Um, And of course, you know, as we talk about Cambodia and recognize that God is now already beginning a church, pastors are forming congregations in that nation, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great lover, has come to that part of the world that has witnessed so much evil. Um, Because I'm a little older, I mean, I remember uh, the tail end of the war in Vietnam. I remember with horror hearing about the killing fields in the Khmer Rouge. Um, but it seemed only a concept to me. It was so far away until we meet people who are actually involved in ministering in that part of the world and recognizing that even though the evil one has worked to destroy as much as he can, God has come and brought healing and reconciliation. It really is true. If it were not for the followers of Jesus, who else would minister in those parts of the world? Christ has called us to forget our own lives and to give ourselves wholly for the people whom God loves. It is always the mark of a believer to follow Jesus to the point of death and to say, Lord, whatever you call me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So whether it's partnering with someone who's doing it or whether we're actually going ourselves to do it, God has called us to be agents of reconciliation. And so I'd ask you to pray for Brian But I'd ask you also to pray for yourselves. If you're a believer today and you're wondering, what does God want me to do at this stage of my life? Open up your eyes and see that the possibilities are far larger than you had ever imagined. Ask yourself, how big is my God and how great is his assignment for me? And then go do what Christ wants you to do. Be free and follow your Lord and Master. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.